Well, last week I started off by telling you how much I love cake and steak. And something really interesting happened this week. Uh, people started bringing cake to the office. I put on 10 pounds this week. I'm not complaining. It was fantastic. Keep doing that. The second thing is we were over at someone's house this week for dinner, and they served us amazing, amazing steak. I had two. And so I didn't want to leave today without telling you some other things I love. <laughs> Fast cars, motorcycles, the Denver Broncos, all-inclusive paid resorts. If you ever want to bring or give me any of those things, I too will accept them from you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, hey, this is week four of the Extreme Ownership Series. For those of you who maybe this is your first time, let me just catch you up real quick on kind of where we have been over the last few weeks. Uh, we talked about, according to the writers of Scripture, that at the moment we put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, at that moment we're forgiven for our violation of sin against Holy Creator God that keeps us separated from him both in this life and in the next. We enter into a saving relationship with Jesus and also at that moment we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of this amazing thing Jesus established called the church. We've discovered over the last few weeks that the writers of the New Testament refer to the church as the body of Christ because Jesus established his church to be his hands and feet uh, to carry on his mission uh, in this world, the mission that he came for, that he dies for, and that he rose from the grave for. Jesus established his church to be the physical embodiment of himself in the world until he physically returns. As followers of Christ, as people who put our faith in Jesus, we together are the body of Christ. And as followers of Christ, Jesus has called us to live as members of his body through the context of a local church. A we that function as the body of Christ. So a we that carries on his mission together in our local context. A we that embodies his presence together. A we that's being transformed more into who he's created us to be, be together. A we that does our part of transforming the world by ushering in his love and his joy and his peace and his salvation and his forgiveness and his redemption and his healing and his provision and his justice and his mercy and his grace. His kingdom together. Like every other local church, relevant community church is the body of Christ. And for those of you who say that this is your church, you are a member of this local body of Christ. We've talked about this. Some of us are shoulders, some of us are elbows, some of us are hands, some of us are legs or knees or ankles or feet. As the body of Christ, Jesus has given us a huge mission together. Jesus has called us to some God, has some God-sized visions for us together. Jesus wants to do a transforming work in us and through us together. Jesus wants us to experience the fullness of his presence and power together. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the thing that most dying churches, churches that are kind of on a downward trajectory, that are just just dead and dying and seemingly void of God's presence, the thing that most dying churches have in common is that they're living half paralyzed, which means half of the body seems to be alive and functioning, and the other half is just seemingly dead and paralyzed. And just like with our physical bodies, when this happens, the, the whole body begins to die. The whole body begins to deteriorate. We Relevant Community Church are the body of Christ. In order for us to see and experience all that God has for us going forward, we have to honestly answer the question, are we living as a half-paralyzed or fully functioning body of Christ? Relevant, are we living as a half-paralyzed or fully functioning body of Christ? 
we have an amazing, amazing church. But like most churches, we have some work to do here. I believe in order to become the church Jesus created us to be, to to continue to progress toward being the type of church that we all desire to be a part of, will require one thing from all of us. It will require everybody taking extreme ownership. And how I've defined extreme ownership is taking full responsibility for everything that impacts us living as a fully functioning body of Christ. Everything that impacts Jesus' mission through us, the visions God's laid on our heart, our effectiveness, God being glorified through us, uh, us being Jesus' hands and feet in the world, us embodying Jesus' presence and Jesus' power. I'm more convinced than ever before that it takes extreme ownership from everybody to live as the body of Christ. It takes extreme ownership from everybody. For us to live as the body of Christ. So throughout this series, I'm challenging all of us to take extreme ownership in five specific ways. And man, I really believe if we all chose to take take extreme ownership in these ways, we'd see God work powerfully in ways we can't even begin to imagine. We'd see the visions that God has lit on our heart become a reality. We'd see God transform our lives, our friends' lives, our families' lives, our neighbors' lives, our community in ways that we can't begin to comprehend. We'd experience the fullness of God's presence and power like never before. And that's the type of church we'd all love to be a part of. So for So far, I've challenged us to take extreme ownership in in three ways. I've challenged us to take extreme ownership of operating as a fully functioning member of the body of Christ by serving on a team. I've challenged us to take extreme ownership of the financial health of our body by giving generously. And then last week, I talked about taking extreme ownership of growing in your relationship with Jesus. Now today, before I dive into this fourth challenge, of extreme ownership challenge I'm going to give you, I just want to be up front with you. There's going to be one word that, that makes this really difficult for some of you to accept this extreme ownership challenge. I mean, regardless of what you believe about Jesus and how devoted you are to him and how much you love him and how long you've been part of a church and how long you've been part of this church and how much you're inspired today or you agree with me today, there's one word that's going to make it really difficult and really challenging for some of you to take ex- extreme ownership in the way I'm challenging you today. And that one word is me. Now, I've actually talked about this earlier in the series, but... We live in a world and we live in a country that is so individualistic and all about me, 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 me. What's best for me, what I want, what I need, what I get, what I prefer, what will help me and benefit me. I'm the center of the world and you're here for me. And this me mentality has seeped into how we view Jesus. Jesus came for me, died for me, is here for me, centers around me. It's also made us view church through a me filter. The church is here for me. Center's around me. It's here to serve me. We talked about this last week. It's here to feed me. It's here to give me what I want, what I need, what I prefer. Furthermore, this me, this me mentality is what has led some of us to conclude, I don't need the church to have a saving relationship with God. Like This is about a vertical relationship. This is about me and him. And as long as me and him are good, this doesn't really matter. And this doesn't affect me and him. And here's the truth. You just got, you got to know. There is no me without we. There is no me without we. Jesus did not come for a person. He came for a people. Jesus didn't come and die and rise from a grave for a singular me. He did for a collective we. Jesus didn't come to establish a follower of Christ. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, a nation, a people, a body, a we. 
The Apostle Paul, the, excuse me, the Apostle Peter, who is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of Jesus' three closest friends, said it this way. It's recorded in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you, and remember, don't read this through an individualistic filter. This is, he's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to a person. But you, all y'all, are a chosen people. Chosen by God himself. God himself chose to redeem you, to restore you, to forgive you. Not because of anything you did, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you. All y'all are a royal priesthood. And by the way, Peter's first century readers immediately would have thought of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Levitical, Levitical priesthood who were mediators between God and man. And all that ended with Jesus. He's saying, you now are a royal priesthood together. You now have access to God. You are all responsible for representing God to one another and representing one another to God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why are we these things? He's saying that you, all y'all, might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And once again, he's going, this is not ultimately about you. It's about God and his glory. Once you, all y'all, together, we're not a people, but now you, all y'all, together, are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For everyone who's a part of Relevant Community Church, Peter was living today and was to write this today. He could write it specifically to our local body. And he could say, but Relevant, you are a chosen people. Relevant, you are a royal priesthood. Relevant, you are a holy nation. You are God's possession. Relevant, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Relevant, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. There is no me without we. And this whole phrase, like, I don't need the church to have a saving relationship with God. You're right. You don't. But me truly knowing Jesus me growing in a relationship with Jesus, me following Jesus, me experiencing Jesus' presence and power, me bringing glory to God to the fullest is connected to we more than we can possibly imagine. See, the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationships, they're connected. You can't do this without this. And this affects this. Following Jesus is as much a we thing as it is a me thing because we together are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God, as Paul describes, the body of Christ. Here's the passage that we've looked at a few times throughout this series that Paul wrote to the local church in the city of Corinth in the first century. He says, just as, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, referring to God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, as to form one body whether Jews, Gentiles, slaves, or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now you, speaking to the entire church in the city of Corinth, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you as individual followers of Christ is a part of it or are members of it. Jesus came for a people and established a people. Following Jesus is as much a we thing as it is a me thing because you gotta know this, as a follower of Christ, you are not the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ. Let me just get that clear to all of our heads. You are not the body of Christ. We, together, are the body of Christ. And you, as an individual follower of Christ, are a body part, are a member. And you know what that, one of the things that means? Once again, it means it's not all about you. 
It's about Jesus and his kingdom and his glory. It's about his people who live together as his body. You know, what's, you know one of the things, that, and you know this, if you've ever had this experience, you know one of the things that just makes church absolutely suck? One of the reasons why it just sucks sometimes? What makes it sucks is when we make it a me thing. Every single time, it makes it horrible. It makes it suck because it was always supposed to be a we thing. If you're a follower of Christ and you say you're a part of Relevant Community Church, you are included in we. We together are one body united by one Savior, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one Lord, one God. I can't do without you, and you can't do without me. You may not like me, but you need me, and you're connected to me, and I need you, and I'm connected to you. Whether you like it or not, or whether you like one another or not, we are we. Now, here's the reality. We will be healthy, or we will be unhealthy. Just like with our physical bodies, we will be a healthy body or we will be a dying, decaying, dysfunctional one. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that for us to become the church Jesus created us to be, for us to carry on Jesus' mission, for us to embody the fullness of Jesus' presence and power, for us to experience the transforming work that Jesus wants to do in us and through us to the fullest, for us to be a a, a church that we all want to be a part of, we must be healthy And that leads to my fourth extreme ownership challenge. Our body needs everybody to take extreme ownership of the health of our body in order for us to live as the body of Christ. Our body, Relevant Community Church, needs everybody who's a part of Relevant to take extreme ownership of the health of our body in order for us to live as the body of Christ. And here's the big idea for the day, and I hope that you remember this. You and me are responsible for the health of we. You and me are responsible for the health of we. The health of our body impacts us living as a fully functioning body of Christ. As, the, as members of this body, as members of this body of Christ, you and me are responsible for the health of we. So you and me must take, take extreme ownership of everything that impacts our body's health. Now, we can't do that if we don't know what impacts our body's health. Which leads to the question, okay, what are the elements that make up a healthy body of Christ? And there's many elements, but through my study of scripture, through my experience of being a pastor for many, many years and being a part of the church for many, many, many years, there are three key elements that I believe must be present for a church to be a healthy body. And so I want to quickly go over these three elements. The first key element for a church body to to be a healthy one that has got to be present is unity within the body. Now, you know this. Our natural inclination, when we disagree with one another, a position someone has, uh, you know, a, a mindset someone has, a, a, a behavior someone has, is to argue with one another, divide, and distance ourselves from each other. However, I can't, and neither can you. Apostle Paul went on to write this in 1 Corinthians 12. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. According to Paul, who put the body together? Who put us together? God did. And he did so that there would be, wait for it, no division. 
Our unity with one another was a really, really big deal to the Apostle Paul, but it was an even bigger deal to Jesus. Do you know what one of the last things Jesus prayed for was? One of the very last things Jesus prayed for on this earth before he was crucified, one of the very last things, you know what he prayed for was? You. Me. His future church. And that prayer is recorded in John 17. Here's Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not just for them alone. He's referring to the 12 disciples that he just got done praying with. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, his future church leading all the way up to us. And here was his prayer for us. That how many? All. That all of them, male, female, brown, black, white, wealthy, middle class, poor, single, married, privileged, underprivileged, high school student, senior citizen, Republican, Democrat. Jesus prayed that all of us who make up his body may be one. Which sounds utterly impossible. But as impossible as it sounds, Jesus was convinced, as we're discovering in a moment, it was mission critical. Which means even though it seems impossible, it's imperative. This is not an add-on. This is not something that like, oh, I get to choose to do this, so I want to do this. I'm a follower of Christ. As followers of Christ. This, I mean, this isn't like Jesus going, Father, wouldn't it be nice if they all got along? I really hope that that happens someday. And if it would, it'd just be really nice. It's imperative. Which means we must become intentional about being unified because if it was important to Jesus, it should be important for us as his followers. But this doesn't come natural, does it? We tend to run to our corners with the people who agree with us, who look like us. But that's not the church Jesus dreamt of. That's not the church Jesus died for. And that's not the church Jesus rose from the grave for. Jesus knew his church was going to be so diverse. He knew it was going to be people of every different language and color and culture. He knew it was going to be filled with people who disagree about a lot of things. That's why he prayed for unity. If he did he didn't need to pray for unity if he knew we just automatically agree on everything. He continues his prayer. May they be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And here's a purpose clause. So that. Let's stop there. Do you know why Jesus prayed for our oneness? This is going to be shocking maybe to some of you. It really doesn't have anything to do with us. The reason he prayed for one, our oneness is because of what he wanted to do through us. Listen, there can be a lack of unity in a church body, and the church can probably survive. But if there's a lack of unity in a church body, they won't be healthy because the will of God will not be accomplished through that church. Look, look, look at what Jesus says. The reason I want them to be one is so that the world, not the people who are part of the church, not the Christ followers, but the people who don't, have a relationship with Jesus. He's saying, I pray that when the world sees my church's unity, they, the world, may believe. That the world, they may actually come to the conclusion, they may be convinced that, Father, you have sent me. Jesus knew our unity was not an add-on. That it was, he knew it was mission critical. Jesus knew the way the world would take notice of him is by us, his body, being unified when we disagree. Jesus knew that this, would, this is what would get the attention of the world because there's nothing like this in the world. Jesus goes on. I have given them, my future church, my body, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me, so that they may be brought to, look at this, complete 
Unity. Then look at what Jesus says. Then the world, there it is again. It's not ultimately about you, about me, or even about us. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. According to Jesus, the world coming to know him and know of his love and know of his forgiveness and know of his redemption and know of his salvation did not ride on us agreeing on everything. According to Jesus, it rode on our unity in him. On when we disagree, living in unity. On our oneness. On when we disagree, following him by being obedient to his one new covenant command. Jesus gave one new command. And his one new covenant command was to love one another just as I first loved you. With the same forgiveness that I first gave you. With the same grace that I first gave you. With the same mercy that I first gave you. With the same understanding that I first gave you. Bearing with one another in the same way, with the same patience and the same perseverance that I bared with you. There is no healthy we without unity. There is no healthy body of Christ without unity. And that's why Jesus prayed for it in his final hours. And that's why you and me must take extreme ownership of our unity with one another. The second key element that must be present in a church body in order for it to be healthy is care for one another. Back to 1 Corinthians 12. Here's what Paul wrote. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If my ankle gets sprained, the rest of my body does not go, huh, that's too bad, and just kind of go along with the business. The rest of my body's like, the ankle sprained, and because the ankle sprained, we are suffering as well. My body, so my whole body is focused on how to get my ankle better. And Paul's like, just like your physical body, each part of the church body should have equal concern, should have equal care for each other because one body part, if one body part suffers, the entire body suffers. Listen, Jesus didn't just establish his church to be his hands and feet in the world. He established it to be the embodiment of his presence and his love and his life and his grace and his provision with one another. And that's why the Apostle Paul also wrote this to another local church in the city of Galatia. He said, carry each other's burdens. Care for each other. Now here's what really we're doing when we're doing that. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? When you read that statement in the New Testament, the New Testament writers are referring back to Jesus' one new new covenant command. To love one another just as he first loved us. Caring for one another is one of the most powerful and practical ways to love one another just as Jesus first loved us. It's one of the most powerful and practical ways to share the love of Christ with one another. It's one of the most powerful and practical ways that we experience, that we experience the love and hope and peace and life and provision and healing power of Jesus in our lives and in our church. And that's what makes the body of Christ healthy. There's no healthy we without we caring for one another. Caring for one another is how we create a healthy we. Which is why you and me, as members of this body of Christ, are responsible for caring for we. And then the third. 
The third key element that must be present for a church body to be healthy is pursuing Jesus together. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews wrote this. And let us, by the way, remember, he's not, not writing to an individual. That's, this is, don't read through that me mentality. Read through the we mentality. Like he's writing to church, the church. writing to the church. Let us, all of us, all of us all together, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and, love and good deeds. Another way of saying, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward following Jesus. Not giving, up meeting, not giving up meeting together because it's impossible to do if we don't meet frequently. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Admonishing one another. Challenging, inspiring, empowering, equipping, convicting, giving accountability to one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. Referring to the day when Jesus physically returns to this earth. As the body of Christ, like you know this, as the body of Christ, as the church, we exist ultimately to follow Jesus together. And according to the writer of Hebrews, according to Peter, according to Paul, according to Jesus, as members of the body of Christ, as a royal priesthood, we are all responsible for helping one another pursue Jesus, move toward Jesus, and follow Jesus. We talked about this last week, that God's goal for you and me as individual followers of Christ, God's goal is to transform you more into everything that he's created you to be. You are continually transformed to who he's created you to be by following Jesus. But here, this is so important that you, you need to know this. And we talk about this at Relevant all the time. Transformation doesn't happen in isolation. You need others to help you take next steps to follow Jesus, and others need you as well. As the body of Christ, that's what we, that's what we should be doing for one another. I'm, forget it. As the body of Christ, that's what you and me are responsible for doing with one another. When a church body is taking extreme ownership in this way, they're healthy because they're being more transformed into being and living as the body of Christ, as each of its members are being transformed. So super important for us. But here's the deal. This is vitally important for you too. There's a body of water just east of Jerusalem. And that body of water, you may have heard of it, is called the Dead Sea. Do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? Because nothing can live in it. It's dead. It is completely stagnant. Now, you follow the river that, goes, that feeds into the Dead Sea. You follow it north about 30, 35 miles, and there's another body of water that's north of that. It's called the Sea of Galilee. This is actually the body of water that when you read about Jesus walking on the water, that's the body of water he walked on, the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is alive. It's flourishing. has enormous amounts of life in it. You know the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? You know what, why one's alive and one's dead? One thing. The Sea of Galilee has a river flowing into it and a river flowing out of it. The Dead Sea has a river flowing into it, and that's it. Done. So the Dead Sea is like, gimme, 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 gimme. Has nothing flowing out, and guess what happened? It died. So for those of you who've been following Christ for a while, maybe you feel stagnant. Maybe you've been saying this for, I just desire to go deeper. That means you probably need to start flowing out by helping others pursue Jesus, by helping others follow Jesus, by taking them under your wing. 
if you don't, transformation in us stops. If you don't, transformation in them stops because transformation doesn't have an isolation. And if you don't, transformation in you stops because transformation in you doesn't happen in isolation either. And you and I can easily become the dead sea. You and me are responsible for we pursuing Jesus together. So here they are. Every healthy church body has at least these three key elements present. Unity with one another, care for one another, and pursuing Jesus together. If we want to be a healthy body of Christ, these three must be present in us too. And you and me are responsible for the health of we. Now, this is so important for you. This is so important that what I'm about ready to say for for all of us as individuals. You affect we both positively and negatively. You affect we both positively and negatively. If you're a part of this we, if you're a part of Relevant Community Church, you affect the health of our body both positively and negatively. Whether you know it, believe it, or like it or not, you have an enormous influence in our church. We all know how this works. That if you take a huge amount of water and you put one drop, one drop of food coloring in here, it will absolutely affect that entire water. The entire water will be affected by it. One drop. This is the health of our body. And you're the one drop. And I'm the one drop. And your one drop will affect us positively or negatively. Will affect our health positively or negatively. And the more of us who are choosing to, to affect our health positively, the healthier we will become. The more of us who are choosing not to do that, the more dysfunctional we will become. The more we will die. Because you affect we, both positively and negatively. Most people don't know this, but my mom has, um, for the last, oh, about a year or so, just been struggling with stage four cancer. And it's been a long, hard fight, and um, her fight's about ready to end. She, two days ago, she called me, told me she's going on hospice. She just can't, she just can't fight anymore. And so, and then I was able to spend some time with her yesterday, and, um, It's destroyed her body. Cancer got into one body part. One. And it destroyed the rest of her body. You're a body part and I'm a body part. And you will either be a healthy body part that makes us a healthy body. Or you will be a cancerous one. And your cancer will spread and kill our body. Relevant Community Church is the body of Christ. And every follower of Christ, every person who's put their faith in Jesus, who says that relevant and there's their church, you are a member of this body. Our body needs everybody to take extreme ownership of the health of our body in order for us to live as the body of Christ. You and me are responsible for the health of we. But you aren't responsible for doing it with everyone because you can't possibly know everyone. 
You can't possibly live this out with everyone. It just, it's a, even if we were a church of 100 people, you couldn't possibly have a responsibility of living this out with everyone. You can't. So if you go, okay, if I'm not responsible for doing this with everyone, how do I take extreme ownership of the health of our body? And here's how. We take extreme ownership of the health of our body by being engaged in a smaller community of people within our body. We call those small groups. And by the way, if you read the New Testament book of Acts, this is exactly what the first century church in Jerusalem did. They would gather together, listen to the apostles' teaching, and they, then they would scatter together in smaller communities to live out being the body of Christ. To, to create unity with one another, to care for one another, and to help each other pursue Jesus together. Our small groups for kids and students are relevant kids' small groups. Middle school students, we call them rooted small groups. High school students, we call them youth united small groups. For college students and adults, these small groups are called T-Life group. Our body needs everybody to take extreme ownership of the health of a smaller community of people within our body. So relevant, let's take extreme ownership. Take extreme ownership and engage in a small group if you are not a part of one. By the way, only 60% of our body is engaged in a small group, which means only 60% of us are trying to take extreme ownership of the health of our body because we take extreme ownership of the health of our body by being engaged in a smaller community of people within our body. If you're a college student or an adult and you're not part of a T-Life group, take the next step and engage in one. And good news, our, we're, this fall we're, you know, we're opening up new, new T-Life groups and those new T-Life groups you can sign up for open up August 31st, so just a few days from now. If you're a middle school student, if you're a high school student and you're not part of a rooted small group or a YU small group, take the next step and engage, engage in one by going to Rooted or going to Youth United, going to Rooted on Sunday afternoons or Youth United on Wednesday nights. Listen, young people, I said this before in the series, but I'm saying this now. You are a part of this body. You right now are a part of the body of Christ, which means you and you and you and you are just as responsible as me for the health of our body. Don't let people tell you you're young so you can coast through and not, like, not act like you ain't responsible. You are just as responsible as I am. So for everyone, I have put the steak in front of you. Pick up a fork and eat. Engage. Engage because transformation doesn't happen in isolation. Engage so you can be transformed. Engage so we can be transformed. Engage because you need we and we need you. Engage so we can be a healthy body. Engage so we can be a church you all love being a part of. For those of you who are engaged in a small group, take extreme ownership and be fully committed to the people in your small group. Be fully committed to create unity with the people in your group, which means when you disagree, and you're going to disagree with the people in your, in your group over a lot of different things. I have 50 college students in my T-Life group. I disagree with them every day, virtually about everything. When you disagree with one another, be committed to love one another the way Jesus first loved you with the same forgiveness and grace and mercy and understanding, 
Secondly, be committed to care for the people in your group and allow them to care for you. When someone in your group is in need or you're in need, tell one another, support one another. When you all need prayer, pray for one another. When someone needs encouraged, encourage one another. When someone's down, lift them up. When someone is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walk with them. When, you need, when someone needs to laugh, laugh with the other person. When you're hurting, just be there for one another. And then thirdly, be committed to help the people in your group take next steps to follow Jesus and allow them to help you. Don't get bent all out of shape when they're trying to help you. Admonish one another. Teach one another. Challenge one another. Inspire. Empower. Equip. Confront. Give accountability to one another. Correct one another. Speak God's word into one another. Be a royal priesthood to one another. Here's the bottom line if you forget all that stuff. Be fully committed to the people in your small group by putting we before me. Oh, this is a cute saying, and people like to put on, you know, the back of their shirts for their team, the football team, the volleyball team, their softball team. Who cares about that crap? The way that we're fully committed and we create unity and care and pursue Jesus together is always putting we before me, always. The health and transformation of our church, of we, rises and falls on the health of our small groups. Does not rise and fall on the events. Does not even rise and fall on good preaching or bad preaching. Does not rise and fall on music. It rises and falls on the health of our smaller communities. The small groups that have made us a healthier body are the ones who are doing this. Who are putting we before me, creating unity, caring for one another, pursuing Jesus with one another. The ones who have hurt the health of our body are the ones where everybody in the group is not committed to doing this. And I know some of you have, have been part of a small group in the past, and you got frustrated, and so you quit. And you're like, I don't think I'm going to do that again. And some of you are in a small group right now, and you're like, why did I even get into this thing? You said it would be great. I'm frustrated. It's not happening that way. Let me tell you, whatever you experience that frustration at any level, let me tell you why. This is very simple. It's not rocket science. It happened because everyone in your group was not doing this. That's why it happened. Everyone in your group was not committed to unity. Everyone in your group was not committed to care. And everyone in your group was not committed to pursue Jesus together. That's what happened. And you're like, yeah, they weren't. But let me ask you, before you get all high and mighty, were you committed to it? Are you committed to it? To the level you want everyone else to be? Because someone's got to go first. And you're going, yeah, they're responsible. No, you're responsible. I'm responsible. So go first. Be the change. In your group right now, be the change. If you got frustrated and you quit a group, re-engage and be the change. Don't complain about what you're not willing to help. It helps nothing. You become an expert on everything who does nothing and no one listens to you. Be the change. If we all took extreme ownership of being engaged in a small group and not just signing up for it, being fully committed to the people in our small groups by creating unity with one another, caring for one another, and pursuing Jesus together, we'd be a healthy body of Christ that was experiencing the fullness of God's presence and power in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Unfortunately, we can't all do this because there's not enough small groups for everyone. And the reason there's not enough small groups for everyone is because there's not enough leaders. That's how this works. You've got to have a leader. So my challenge to you, to some of you, is going, maybe that's the next step you need to take. 
Maybe you need to hey, talk to your T-Life group leader and go, hey, I, maybe I'm supposed to start apprenticing. For high school students, middle school students, maybe you need to go ahead and talk to Devin and Coleman or Ashley or Christy. Maybe you need to start serving down. Because those kids younger than you need a great small group leader. And that could be you. And let me just say this. Like, I know there's like really mature Christians who are part of Relevant who have said this to me. I can't believe you're letting that person lead a group. They barely been following Jesus for a year. Like they are so immature. And here's my answer to them, by the way. If you ever say it to me, here's what I'm going to say to you. I say, you know why they're leading that group? You know who we have leading groups? People who are willing. Like, that's the answer. Like, they are willing to do it. And so from my perspective, they're more mature than you are. So listen, if you are so mature and you look at people who are leading groups and think, oh, my God, how could they let them do that? Or I just want to be part of a group that's deeper. Then be the change. Then step up. Then do it. We'd love to watch you. But the people who are willing are the ones who are doing it. So if ever that thought's entered your mind, boom, step up, baby. Like, let's see what you got. Be as mature as you say you are. Got off a little tangent there, my bad. (laughs) You and me are responsible for the health of we. So let me ask you, how is Jesus calling you to take extreme ownership of the health of our body? Because he is calling you in some way, if you're a part of this body. So wherever he's calling you to do, do it. Do it for you, do it for us, do it for we, do it for God's glory, do it for a watching world that is waiting to see what true love and community and unity looks like. Earlier in the gathering, we sang that song, I love you, Lord. You know, I love you, Lord. I'm not going to sing it because it'll sound terrible. And it's so interesting, we sing that song and it's so individualistic. I love you, I lift my voice. And so what I want to do is I want to close singing it as we. Because if these words were really true about us, that's how we'd be living as the body of Christ. So this is going to be our closing prayer that we're going to sing together as a unified we. And as we sing these words, essentially we're saying, Jesus, we're going to love you by taking extreme ownership of the health of our body. So let's sing these words together as our closing prayer of we love you, Lord. We're going to sing that, pray that together one more time. But let's stand and do that. As a unified we, as a unified we, let's stand. And these words, have these words be our prayer that (laughs) take joy, my king, not only in what you hear, but when we walk out of here and what you see and what you watch 
and what you feel from we. Let's sing it again. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.